Good morning, everybody. Let's all grab our Bibles this morning. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. The title for our lesson this morning is Great Power for Great Needs. We've gone through a theme here lately where we'll, tra- where we'll trade off stories. Uh, chapter 1 was about uh, more so the condition of the kingdom, the next king, that sort of thing. Chapter 2 was about Elijah and Elisha. Chapter 3 was about the next king. And here in chapter 4, we have a chapter that's just primarily about Elijah and his ministering to various kinds of people. 2 Kings chapter 4, we see number 1 this morning is having great need. In verse 1 it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. We have an incredible need that we see this poor widow woman uh, is in need of a lot of help. In that day and time, the man was the sole breadwinner for the house. Women were not uh, given the opportunity to work. They uh, tended to the house. That was the way society worked. They weren't oppressed. Uh, they didn't know any different. They were content in the life they led. You can read through scripture and read about women who were quite happy so long as they had children and a full family. Uh, they were quite happy. There are exceptions to that rule. For example, Ruth went and gleaned in the fields of Boaz to provide bread for her family. But she had a very specific opportunity afforded to her that this widow woman did not. So she not only has no money and is struggling to put food on the table, evidently her husband uh, left behind quite a bit of debt. This is something that happens quite often, uh, even today. This is a relatable issue. Okay. Sorry, I lost my place real quick. Her husband passed away, left her a lot of debt. And uh, she's been doing her best to take care of things, but having no source of income coming into the house whatsoever, the creditors, or those that she owed money to, came and were going to take her two sons as bondmen. And they were going to have her two, her two sons work until the debt was paid off. Put yourself, if you can, this morning into the mindset of a mother doing the very best she can, working as hard as she possibly can, getting by mostly on the kindness of strangers or neighbors, but then finally coming to the place where you get a knock on your door and you're about to lose your children to go be slaves, basically, to work off the debt that your husband left behind. There's no greater need than the need this woman was in here in verse 1. Verse 2, Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? 
It's a question we ought to get into the habit of asking. What can I do for somebody else? We get far too often in the habit of asking, what can I do for myself? How can I make myself more comfortable? How can I make myself happier? When we, especially as Christians, ought to get into the habit of asking, what can I do for everybody else? For anybody else? Because you can't please everybody, but you could please anybody. We need to get in the habit of seeing ourselves as servants and seeing what we can do for other people. It would have been quite easy for Elisha to see himself as some sort of a leader, some sort of superior spiritual authority over everybody else. But he comes to this poor widowed woman and he asks her, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? He says, tell me, what hast thou in thine house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in thine house save a pot of oil. So she's sold off everything she owns trying to keep her head above water. We all know what this feels like. Especially when you're young and you're just getting out in the world and you're still trying to figure out the way the world works. And you make a little mistake and it costs you so severely in ways you didn't imagine it would. And you go through life and you kind of figure out what mistakes cost more than others, but then you're trying to figure out, okay, if I pay this bill and I pay that bill, how am I going to eat tomorrow? And this is what this woman is going through, not because of some mistake she made as a young woman, but just because life became tremendously difficult for her very quickly. She has nothing. She sold everything but a pot of oil just so she can cook food and they don't starve to death. Verse 3, then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. This is an odd request from the man of God. Do you imagine she did it? Yes, sir, she did it. He's offering to help her. She says what her terrible condition is. And he says, I want you to go get a whole bunch of empty pots. Fill your house with empty pots that you can borrow from your neighbors. Didn't make sense to her, but it won't make sense to us till we finish the story, but it's what the man of God said to do. You know, there are going to be times in our life where God wants you to do something you don't want to do. God's going to ask you to do things that maybe don't make sense to you. Why would I leave this position for that position? You know, why would I... Uh, give up this to go pursue that? Why would I do this instead of do that? Why would I spend time with that person instead of that person? And that a lot of times we don't really understand why God puts things on our hearts the way that He does. But when we trust the Lord, the end result is always better. When thou art come, it says in verse 4, he continues, when thou art come in, thou shalt surely shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. So, you realize what he's asked here. That one pot she's got in her house has got oil in it. He wants her to take that one pot and fill all the other empty vessels with oil with that one pot. Verse 5, So she went in from him, 
and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. So she's filled all the other vessels and pots that she's borrowed from her neighbor with this one pot. It never exhausted. It never ran out. There was always more oil. To the point where they were full, each of them to the very brim. And then the Bible says the oil stayed. Now if that were to happen to us, I might wake up every couple hours throughout the night and go in there just to make sure the oil's still in those pots, right? Might get a little worried that, that, you know, they showed up magically. What if they disappeared magically? But the oil stayed. The oil never left. You imagine how nervous she would have been that the oil just wasn't there when she woke up the next morning. But the oil stayed. This oil is a picture of Christ. One vessel that fills all the rest. There's an unexplainable emptiness that the lost person has. There's just a there's a hole inside you somewhere. And you don't really quite know about it. You don't really fully understand it. And the world and people that don't know Christ, they try to fill it with so many different things, right? They try to fill it with success. And they think, maybe if I become a real big success, I'll feel complete. And they climb that ladder and they work hard and they get to the top and they still feel empty. And they say, well, maybe I'll fill it with stuff. You know, maybe if I've got the nicest car. Maybe if I've got the nicest clothes. Maybe if I've got the latest game system. You know, maybe if I've got the nicest computer. The top of the line phone. Maybe if I've got all the best stuff, then I'll feel better about myself. But there's still that emptiness there. Maybe they think if I'm wealthy, if I'm financially well off, I don't have to worry about money anymore. I'm a financial success in life. I don't have to worry about my kids and their futures. Then I'll feel complete. And they try to fill that hole they have in their heart somewhere with money, and it, it, that doesn't work either. You try more moral things. Maybe friendship will fill it. But when friends go home, you still feel empty. Maybe family will fill it. And a man who starts a family with emptiness in his heart finds that it doesn't get much better as time goes on. There's only one thing that fills that emptiness, and that's the the vessel of Christ. I was 16 years old when I got saved, but even at 16, I felt I felt that emptiness. Would hang out with friends. Didn't quite feel it. You know, friends would go, problems would pop up, and I felt worse about it than I should, and I knew that. I ended up getting into a fight with a guy, and uh, I know he got me pretty good. I don't know how good I got him. He was gone by the time I got up. But 
remember looking in the mirror at myself, a little beat up, and thinking to myself, I don't even really know who I am. You know, I, I have this incredible emptiness I don't know what to do about. And I remember going to church looking for answers, and I found those answers. And I got saved. And I remember I, w I felt so freed when I got saved. Like all of this, this junk I had been carrying for all these years, I can't tell you how many times I worried to death that I was going to die alone. As a teenager. You think teenagers don't have those troubles? Yeah, they do. I can't tell you how many times I worried about not doing well enough in school to get off to a good college to have a career or a future someday. When I got saved, he was like, all of that worry just fell off of me. It was like, I knew I didn't have to worry about it. I was just content. I was happy. I found that which filled that hole. I'm going to tell you, I was worried. I felt so good on that day. It was July 24th of 2005. And I felt so good on that day. I was scared to death when I woke up the next morning it would be gone. Just like this widow woman. I felt so good. I didn't want to go to sleep because I was worried I'd have forgotten about it all and wake back up with all those worries again. But can I tell you I didn't? I woke up with the same free spirit that I had found the day before. There is a freedom in Christ. This one vessel that is Christ. And He fills each and every one of us. If we'll let Him. This empty pot. It's a picture of great power for a great need. Because then it says in verse 7, Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. She sold the oil and had so much oil that she was able to sell enough oil to pay off her debts, and then she was able to just live off the rest of the oil for the rest of her days. The oil not only filled those empty vessels not only provided for her ability to eat but they paid her debt I mean folks this practically preaches itself it paid the debt you and I had a great debt we're still charging that account imagine trying to pay off a great debt when you're still continuously adding to that debt imagine if credit card companies didn't give your credit card a limit you could just spend as much money as you could swipe but if you didn't pay back the debt within a certain amount of time you were taken to prison until you worked off the debt that's the way it worked in the Bible times our sin is a debt we owe God. And every day, every week, every month, we're charging to that account still. Were it not for the gracious mercy of God upon the cross, we would not be able to pay back that debt. 
she had a great need and the Lord provided just like He has for us. But then we see secondly this morning is having great contentment. Having great contentment. Does anybody know what the word contentment means? Basically satisfied. Yeah, satisfaction. Being happy with what you have and where you are. The Bible says having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Verse 8, the Bible says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Excuse me. So this lovely woman saw Elisha coming through town and saw an opportunity to be a blessing to a great man. Let me tell you, people like Elisha, more times than not, they're asked favors from. People look at Elisha and they say, I need you to do something for me. But it takes a very special kind of person to look at someone like Elisha and say, what can I do for him? Right? Husbands and fathers are oftentimes seen as those that bear the brunt, right? They're the strong ones. They're the ones that bring home the bacon. They're the ones that take care of everything when nobody else knows what to do. Dad knows what to do. I don't know how to fix this. Let's call Dad, right? I don't know what to do. Dad will know what to do. The wife says, I don't know how we're going to take care of this bill. I don't know how we're going to take care of this need. I'll wait for my husband to come home and we'll talk about it and figure something out. Because there's just something about having that person there that makes you feel like, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. So often we look at those people in our lives, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a father or a mother, and we, we think about what they can do for us. But how often do we stop and think, how can I be a blessing to someone like that? Someone who's always helping me out, taking care of my needs, giving me advice. Instead of always getting, how can I give back to them? That's what this woman did. She took Elisha, instead of asking him for something, she just asked him to come in, sit at my table, eat my bread. I would consider it an honor, please. She had a great attitude. A servant's heart. Verse 9, And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. So she's created a room in her house specifically for when Elisha comes into town. Now he's got a place to stay. He's not having to camp out somewhere. He's not having to pay for a, a room in the local inn. He's got a room now in her house free of charge. Verse 11 says, It fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. 
And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he, and, uh, he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own, mine own people. And he said, What is then to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. Elisha becomes grateful for all that this Shunammite woman has done for her, for done for him. He doesn't just take this blessing and leave. He becomes so grateful to all that this woman has done for him, he wants to bless her in some way. We talked about husbands and fathers a second ago, but on the same beat, mothers and wives are often overlooked too, aren't they? All the meals that are cooked, the clothes that are cleaned, not as though those are the sole obligation of the wife. There's no sin against a husband turning on a washing machine. But oftentimes we take advantage, not take advantage, but we take for granted the women in our life that work so hard to do things for us. You know, how often I am in another room, I'm working or I'm laying down in the bed and I can just smell dinner cooking in here. And I know Amanda's in here working on something. Either Amanda or Mom. Somebody's in here and they're cooking food for all of us. We come in here this morning. How often do we notice that the floors are swept? Did you walk in here this morning and notice that the floors were mopped? That the bar has been cleaned off? The furniture has been rearranged and vacuumed? think that happens by itself? No. What happens is Amanda, my mother, usually, um, if Ryan's around to help, she helps too. You know, but Amanda, not Amanda, Ryan and my mom, they've got full-time jobs. And they all work very hard at what they do. And I hope it's never said that we take that for granted. I hope they always feel appreciated, but so many times we overlook the people that we should be looking to say, how can I bless them? What can I do to make them feel good? All the women in this church, they're very hard workers. When they're here, when work needs to be done, we all get up, we all grab something, and we all work. And that's not just the men. You see, in a lot of churches, I say that specifically because it's seen that the men are supposed to be the ones doing the heavy lifting, right? While the women sit in another room and talk. And that's not the way it works here. We've got a great group of people. And I hope you appreciate your mother. We had Mother's Day not that long ago. But we ought to appreciate our mothers not just on Mother's Day, yeah? If you've got a wife, I hope she feels appreciated. I hope you take the time to do the things to make her appreciated. Buy her a gift. You know? Wake her up and tell her you love her. Give her a kiss. Show your wife you appreciate her. Don't just say it. Elisha looked for a way to be a blessing to the Shunammite woman. We ought to look to be a blessing to the people in her life. 
So he says to her, he comes to her and he says, what can I do for you? If you would like for it, I could give you an audience with the king himself. That is how much Elisha appreciated the Shunammite woman. You know what her response was? I'm good. I don't need anything. I dwell with my people. I'm content to be so. She was happy with the life she had. She didn't ask for anything else. And then we find out afterwards, she's barren. She's never had children. In that day and time, that part of the world, that was considered a great shame. Especially not to have a man-child. But she doesn't ask for that. She's content with her barrenness. She's content with the way her life is. She's found happiness. You know how you do that? You count the things you have and not the things you don't. You stop looking around at all the things everybody else has and saying, oh, I wish I had that. You stop doing that. You just focus on the things that you have been given in life and you say, wow, I really enjoy these things. I'm glad I've got them. Contentment. That's what the Shunammite woman had. She had contentment, folks. But Elisha's not satisfied with that. He leaves and he asks his servant Gehazi, is there anything she lacks? Is there anything she doesn't have? And Gehazi says, yeah, she doesn't have children. So then we see in verse 15, he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived. And bare a son. At that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. She had a child. Elisha prayed for her, and the Lord made that happen. And Elisha told her this, that she was blessed for doing good to the man of God, doing good to Elisha, but who was she blessed by? Was she blessed by Elisha? No, she was blessed by God. God blessed her for her goodness and her, content, her contentment. It's the same God we serve today and He's pleased by the same things. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. God is pleased with our generosity. God is pleased with our contentment and He'll bless us for the same. There are blessings in these things. And when God says He's going to bless you for doing good, He keeps His promises. He kept His promise to this Shunammite woman, didn't He? He keeps His promises to us as well. Thirdly, we see this morning is having great faith. We have great needs. In those great needs, we strive to find great contentment. But sometimes, instead of finding contentment, we need to find great faith. It says in verse 18, 
Now this is the largest portion uh, of the chapter and I will be reading through this hopefully more than I'm talking. So it says in verse 18, When the child was grown, it fell on a day that when he went out to his father to the reapers, or that he went out to the father, went out to his father to the reapers and he said unto his father my head my head and he said to a lad carry him to his mother and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother he sat on her knees till noon and then died And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. She's lost her son. The son she didn't ask for, but was blessed with anyways. The son that she loved as dearly as any mother does. And then she lost that son. This is the most unnatural form of death that a parent should bury a child. And this is what she must endure now. But, she's holding out hope. Yes, he's truly dead. But she's writing to Elisha. Because she's holding out hope. She's got faith that Elijah and Elijah's God and do something about it. So then in verse 25, she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, he said unto Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered it as well. Elisha didn't know what had happened. You see, just because Elisha was the prophet of God doesn't mean that Elisha knew all. He's just a man. And all the amazing things that Elisha does is God doing them and not Elisha. So if we're going to be amazed by anyone, it shouldn't be Elisha we're amazed by, it should be the Lord. So he comes and he asks, is everything well? But then she answers in an odd way. She says, it is well. When we know it wasn't well. Uh, there in verse 26, she says, it is well. Now this could be for a couple of reasons. It could be that she said this because she doesn't want to talk to the servant. She wants to talk to Elisha himself. She wants to be the one to give him the bad news. Or it could be that she truly believes it's going to be okay. Remember, that is kind of what she said to her husband as she was leaving. It shall be well. It's going to be okay. Holding out faith, holding out hope for her child. 
Verse 27, when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. You didn't have to be a prophet to see that. You didn't have to have great foresight to see the pain of a mother's loss on her face. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. That's what we were talking about a second ago. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? What this Shunammite woman said. Now she, I do believe with my whole heart that this woman had every ounce of faith in God and hope that things would be restored. But that doesn't mean she's not still angry. It doesn't mean that she's not still bitter and upset about what she had to go through. About having to see her son's dead corpse laying in her lap. She's still upset about it. She comes to the man of God and she's saying that to Elisha, but really she's saying it to the Lord. And she's saying, this is why I didn't want a child. Because as much as I love them, I can't lose them anymore. But loss in our life, pain of loss in our life, is a sign that there was once great love. We wouldn't have great grief toward the loss of a loved one if we didn't have great love for that person. And so sometimes the Lord needs us to go through the fire in order to be strengthened. You can't sharpen a sword without some kind of friction. Anybody ever seen a sharpening stone before? My grandfather used to give them to me and sharpen our pocket knives with them. And you need the friction of that stone against the blade, striking it against that stone in order to sharpen it. You ever seen maybe in movies... Um, of the uh, Middle Ages, they are sharpening swords on that. They're sitting on that thing and they're pedaling it and the wheel starts to move really fast and they put the sword on it as it's moving really fast and the sparks start to fly off of that sword as it's being sharpened. It's quite a sight to behold. There's friction sharpening the blade, making it more useful, making it more deadly to the enemy. If we're going to be an effective tool in the hand of the Lord, there's going to need to be some friction. There's going to need to be a bit of fire. You can't heat that metal up to shape it into a sword, into what it's supposed to be, without some fire, without some heat. Sometimes our lives require we go through great pain so that we may be molded and crafted into something wonderful. You know what happens in the cocoon as the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Its entire body is broken down. And it becomes basically a, a, a pile of goop 
there in the cocoon as it slowly begins to be reshaped into the butterfly. Before you can be transformed into whatever it is that God wants you to become, we first need to be broken down. Sometimes we have to have a great need before we can see the great power of God. That's what this woman had to endure. That's why she's angry. Verse 29, Then said Gehazi, Gird up thy loins. And Then he said to Gehazi, rather, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. He says, you get there as fast as you can. You don't stop to say hi. You don't stop to salute somebody back. You don't answer anyone. You just get to her house as fast as you can with my staff. And when you get there, you put the staff over the face of the child. But Elisha is about to learn an important lesson. The mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. The child is not awake. Do you know why? Because the power wasn't in the staff. The power wasn't in the prophet. The power was in God. And Elisha needed to learn that lesson. Verse 32, And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, breathing for the child, almost like you do, uh, at least the way they used to teach you to do in CPR. And his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, trying to give the body some warmth. And the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked into the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. What was the difference? Maybe Gehazi should have uh, done some, some chest compressions. Maybe Gehazi didn't do the mouth-to-mouth. The Maybe Gehazi didn't try to warm the body. Was that the problem? No. Did Elisha use the staff? No, he didn't. Take a look for yourself. He did not use the staff. What did, what did Elisha do? He prayed. Elisha prayed to the Lord. He asked God to do this. And Elisha had to learn, it's not Elisha doing these wonderful things. It's not my staff that has some, been imbued with some sort of 
ancient power. It's the God. It's the God. And He's the one doing these incredible things. Verse 36, And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out, having great faith. And then we see lastly this morning, very quickly, having great hunger. Having a great hunger. And this part of the story becomes very um, illustrative. Rather, very figurative. Rather than literal. It says, Elisha came again to Gilgal. And there was a, a darth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot and see the pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds in his lap, full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out, of the, uh, poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating the pottage that they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, Bring the meal. And he cast it into the pot and said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Food was scarce. There wasn't a whole lot to go around anywhere in the country. And so Elisha said, We're going to make a stew. You know, you've got those stretch meals, right? Every family's got stretch meals. I remember when things would get lean, when we used to have a Sunday dinner over at Grandma's, there'd be a whole lot of hamburger stew. Right, to the point where you'd get a little sick of hamburger stew. Uh, $3 stew. What that basically what that is, is it was stew, but instead of using stew meat, you would just use ground, you'd just use uh, hamburger meat. And stick it in the pot. My grandpa used to call it $3 stew. Because way back in the day, it cost like $3 to make. Everybody's got those stretch meals. For our family, it's uh, something we got from Sylvia. It's uh, macaroni and cheese with hamburger meat stuck in it. And I know it doesn't sound, you know, real fancy or anything. But I'm telling you, there's nothing better in all the world, man. Especially, and I, I do this little weird thing. I put a little bit of buffalo sauce in mine. That is good stuff. This was Elisha's stretch meal. And it's a stretch meal that we've seen in the Bible somewhere before. Where have we seen pottage before? Job. No? Job was wealthy, man. He didn't have to eat pottage. Potted meat comes to mind. Potted meat? It sounds very similar. It might even be very similar. Pottage was what Esau was eating. Oh my gosh. When Jacob came in. Yeah. It's a stretch meal for when things get a little lean. 
eating pottage. They go to eat the pottage, and somebody just found some wild gourds growing in the middle of the woods, grabbed it, chopped it up, and threw it in the stew without tasting it first or anything. And evidently, it tasted pretty bad. Well, they took a bite, and they were like, there's death in the pot. I imagine uh, Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> you know? He takes, a, he takes a spoon, he takes a bite of this, he spits it out, throws the, the, the spoon on the ground, he says, You donut, there's death in this pot! But evidently he wasn't the only one, right? They all thought this was pretty bad. And so what does Elisha do? He puts some meal, uh, imagine like cornmeal, in the pot and that helps it out. That gives it flavor back. It tastes good again and they can eat it. Of all the things we consume throughout the week, not literally and food-wise, but the things that we consume mentally, whether it be music or podcasts, TV shows, movies, right? A lot of these things can feel very empty and very dull and very gray, but if you add your Christianity to it, it becomes a lot more interesting. I can watch a movie that was not a Christian movie at all, never was intended to be a Christian movie, and yet I can still feel God trying to tell me something through that movie. Let me tell you, the reason I started Faith Baptist Church was because of that movie, The Greatest Showman. We were at Hickory Creek at the time, and we just felt like things weren't going the way that they had originally planned on going. We, you know, were slowly being transitioned out, sort of against our will, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And uh, by and by, we went and saw that movie because it was, you know, had Hugh Jackman in it. Who's not going to watch that movie? And uh, we watched it. And we came out. And we're both like, yeah, we know what we need to do now. And so we started the process of starting Faith Baptist Church. Anything can become spiritual sustenance if you'll let the Lord in on it. Add that sort of cornmeal to it. And real quick, um, there came a man from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, full ears of corn and the husk thereof. You ever had grilled corn with the husk still on it? That's good stuff, man. Two days ago. Yeah, that was good stuff. Uh, and he said, Give the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What should I set this before a hundred men? And he said, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall, le uh, and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. So there's only so much food, but there's a hundred people out there that need to eat. There's not exactly 5,000 men, but we've seen this miracle before, haven't we? Do you know what happened way back in the day with Elisha before it ever happened with Jesus? And it happened after Elijah and the widow woman? In this moment, the food was multiplied exactly to their need. It wasn't much, but it became much when God got involved. When we have great need in our life, 
when we're running short, when we're running dry, when we're at the end of our rope and we have an incredible need, that is when we see God at His best. That is when we see great power. It's not when we're doing well and we don't have any needs, when we're desperate, when we're hopeless, when we're running out of time, running out of money, running out of everything. We need a miracle. That's when we get a miracle. Because great needs reveal great power in the life of the Christian. We have great needs. We learn great contentment. We discover great faith. And we fill a great hunger, both physically and spiritually. I want to thank everybody so much for watching. We will be five minutes late getting started this morning. And we will see you at 11.05.